fear the talking queers. Now that we're all here, the party can begin. Hey, bitch. Hey, bitch. It's Frankie. It's Jake. And you're listening to... Fear the Talking Queers. Yes, welcome to the show. Another week, another bomb-ass episode for you. Yes, and this time it is our very special Thanksgiving episode. Ooh, oh yeah, that's right. I didn't even think about that, but... Me either. It makes sense, right? This is a movie this week about family and... Yes. Especially families that fight and scream at each other just like a lot of families do on thanksgiving (laughs) i know i know my family's very similar to the one in hereditary honestly the level of dysfunction is high i was like oh are they white (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) no they're not white but they're fucking nuts (laughs) (laughs) oh my god what do you do what do you do you what do you do on thanksgiving do you have any plans Um, it's kind of early. Yeah, I usually have to make three stops on Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember this. Now it's down to two, but... Um, oh, no. I know. It's because my grandparents passed away. Oh. So now it's just two stops. It's like my family and then Andre's family. Right. But I need to go off Blu-ray. Uh, Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. Black Friday. <laughs> I need to go Blu-ray. Shopping. <laughs> I need to go Blu-ray shopping, bitch. Well, yeah, but I need to go Black <laughs> Friday shopping uh, because I want a 4K TV, bitch. Me too. You know what I got in the mail? I got my Steelbook Scream 25th Anniversary 4K Ultra HD, whatever. I finally got it, but I don't have anything to watch it on. I just bought it because I needed it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you would. That's I'm like, I don't buy shit like that anymore because I'm like, I don't even have a 4K TV. It, so it, what a struggle. But yeah, Black Friday, that could be your moment. You can go in there and get that TV. Have you ever gone Black Friday shopping? Like done like the 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 black friday shopping like the, the black friday shopping bitch like that night yeah. like at walmart yeah it's disgusting oh my god i, I don't uh, i don't think i've ever gone black friday shopping on that like you know at midnight or whatever but i have worked on black fridays in retail which is yes hell i've done that also and it's like i i worked in a clothing store and it was just it was like a hurricane went through also a bomb exploded clothes are everywhere just piles of clothes and then you somehow people are yelling at you because they can't find anything i'm like bitch i didn't do that and then you know people are cranky it's late hungry you know they haven't had their leftovers yet so for all you black friday workers out there i feel you i feel your pain i feel you one time i one time i was working at forever 21 on black friday yeah bitch all them cheap ass clothes are just uh, (laughs) all just fucking wrinkled all over the tables ripped torn what is this dumpster diving (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah kind of um so if you're looking for a gift to give <laughs> this holiday this holiday season, we have our merch back in stores. No, I'm just kidding. Not in stores. <laughs> our, our online store. Yeah, our online store. It's thriving, but we're only doing it for a limited amount of time. So you only have until the end of this month to like get what you need to get. So, you know. 
do that. that. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, <laughs> these are selling. People want them, and so you got to make sure you get yours because they're going fast. So yeah, make sure you head over to uh, com slash store and uh, pick up a shirt. That's all we have, right? No, we have like a tote bag. We have oh, a blanket yeah, that says right. Sweet is... Screams, bitch. What the hell? A How do bitch, I not... a blanket. We need to get that. Yeah, pick yourself up a blanket. You can pick yourself up a shirt. You can um, and rock your We have your phone cases, tote bags. We have the blanket, the Sweet Screams Bitch blanket. So, uh, speaking of... I don't even know how to transition this one <laughs> to our movie this speaking week. Speaking of, yeah, family and, you know, cozy time. Hereditary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That brings us to our movie this week, which is the psychologically spooky, culty, devilly... Family drama. Family drama <laughs> that is Ari Aster's big screen debut director by the way um with hereditary (laughs) yes yes this movie honestly when i first watched it i was extremely unsettled and i think that the lasting impression it had on me that even i even said i'm never watching this movie again and then we started doing this podcast i was like okay i'm probably like yeah right I know, but now that we've done it, I'm never going to watch it again. It is so unsettling and unnerving for me. I don't know what it... Well, I do know what it is. We'll get into it. But it is so... It's probably, for me, the scariest movie I've ever seen. Is that... That's not reaching, is it? No, it's scary on, like, a really deep level. It's not, like, a surface level scary where you're like, "Mm, the serial killer is going to get me. It's not, like, that kind of scary. Yeah. There's something like... like, Ah, right yeah, yeah. No, no no it's not that at all it is like psychologically scary and it brings up a lot of things about family and trauma that are terrifying and they're real even though there are some supernatural elements to this film there's something really grounded and real about it that is actually terrifying so i agree with yes. you this is definitely one of the most unnerving films i've ever seen definitely so intense and that you definitely have to be like in the right state of mind to watch it. <laughs> like, I would probably only watch this movie if I was like depressed and be like, I just want to <laughs> sulk. Yeah. In my yeah. In my emotions. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> on that happy note, on that exciting note, <laughs> uh, why don't we get into it? And um, here's Hereditary. Dad, I don't like this. What's happening? Please stop. What's going on? Mom! Please, please stop. What's happening? Why is everyone scared? Why are you scaring them? Make it stop! Make it fucking stop! Make it stop! Hereditary, released in 2018, written and directed by Ari Aster. Our movie begins with an obituary for one Ellen Taper Lee. We then see a view from a window of a treehouse, and then we pan over into the room to a dollhouse, a replica of the home we are in. 
Steve Graham, played by Gabriel Byrne, goes to wake his teenage son Peter, played by Alex Wolf, and 13-year-old daughter Charlie, played by Millie Shapiro, for their 78-year-old grandmother Ellen's funeral. Steve finds Charlie sleeping in the treehouse outside. Steve's wife Annie, played by Tony Collette. Oh, oh my God, Queen, it's just, Queen. Honestly. She should have won an Oscar for this. Literally. One of my top five favorite actresses of all time, giving a performance for the motherfucking ages in this movie. So Annie is an artist who sculpts miniature dioramas, and she delivers the eulogy at her mother's service, explaining that Ellen was not the friendliest of women, and that she lived a very private, secretive life, acknowledging that many of the funeral attendees are strangers to her. During the speech, Charlie makes a clucking noise while drawing a strange sketch of her mother. Annie talks to Charlie about Ellen at bedtime that night. Charlie claims that her grandmother always wished she were a boy. To Annie's confusion, Charlie also wonders aloud who will care for her now that Ellen is dead. Annie later sees a haunting vision of Ellen after looking through a memory book while in her workshop. Annie leaves the room quickly to reveal a miniature diorama of her mother attempting to breastfeed baby Charlie. Ooh, okay. Ooh, that's that's gross. <laughs> I know that is disgusting. Okay, this transition from the dollhouse, like pan zooming into the dollhouse, oh, and then seamless, seamless, and then he starts moving in the bed. It's like, oh my god! Uh, I almost thought I'm like not as watching dolls move around. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Imagine, yeah, it was just like a like a animated Pixar movie. <laughs> At the end of the movie, we pan out. <laughs> of the dog, like, it's all in her this head. Is Toy Story 5. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, but just like right away, Ari Aster is like, I am a visionary of, of directing. I don't know how, even how to explain it, but um, he, yeah. has, he has a very, very specific eye um, mm-hmm. I think his style, the more and more we get of Ari Aster films, since we only have two at the moment, is going to be really something people are going to recognize. I think this is just a very, his style is going to be so recognizable. And Oh, um, totally. Like, you'll know yeah. when you're watching an Ari Aster right. movie. Exactly. Be- because even Midsommar, like, these movies are s- very different, but they're not, yeah. they're, they're not, but you know it's him. Like, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're like, enough. they're like related. They're like, they're, yeah, like cousins, cousins who look alike. Oh. <laughs> exactly. It's like us. It's like us. I'm hereditary. I'm yeah. Loca. And, yeah. <laughs> and you're Midsommar because you're also crazy, but you have blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you put it so beautifully <laughs> just now. <laughs> yeah, so we're getting some really amazing visual moments. Yeah, this like... Uh, image of this like dollhouse which you know there's a lot of interpretations to this movie and one of them is like that this is mostly told from Annie's perspective and right. and you know us going to this dollhouse that she is putting together um, kind of gives you this feeling that she might be in control of what's going on or she more is going on with her than we might see on the surface um, but also that could not be true there's a lot in this movie that's left to, up to interpretation you know how I took it as I took it as two different things 
one of them, I, the first thing I thought was, okay, this, these dioramas and these little things not only add to the storytelling, but also it's like her, because obviously there's some things that are a little bit off with Annie and her family. And I almost feel like her creating these dioramas, like this is her form of art, is that, um, it helps her compartmentalize these strange moments of her life, especially when they show something as bizarre as Miss Ellen with her one sagging titty out trying to breastfeed her baby. You know, it's, that's really bizarre. And so I think it helps her compartmentalize, but also one of the things that Ari Aster said in one of his interviews was that this movie is the, you know, this like possession ritual that's obviously taking place, but then you're looking at it from the sacrificial lamb's perspective. And Mm, so it's almost like you're the voyeur of these like, you know, little, these little tiny people, because that's almost like what the cult throughout the movie does. It's like they're in your peripheral vision looking in on what's happening. Yeah, there's a lot of like, yeah, it's almost like shot like I don't want to say proscenium. I don't know how what the right word is to describe it, but it is almost like you're looking into these like rooms sometimes, as if you are looking like or this, how do I say this? The shots when you're looking at some of these scenes of in the bedrooms and things look like you're on the outside of the dollhouse. Like you are the observer. You are the yeah. people who are who are concocting this sort of plan around them. You're sort of watching them, almost like you are you're waiting for the moment to move in you know yeah it feels like really voyeuristic and um but yeah really really unsettling for some reason on top of that you start to lose like reality a little bit like what is real what is in what is a what is a creation that annie has made and what is actual reality in the context of the movie um so we're already like starting off with an unreliable narration in a way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we don't, we, we never really know what is real. What is a diorama? What is a hallucination or a, or like a, a nightmare? Because that happens a few times in this movie where, you know, you think something's real and then they wake up and then it's like, also then they wake up again. It's like a vision within a vision. So, um, yes, there's a lot of this unreliable narration going on here. So, the disorientation is in full effect. And then we get sort of this explanation of Ellen, because we're at her funeral, and she's saying, you know, Annie basically puts it very nicely, because she's like, my mother underneath all of life's hardships could have been a good woman. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like, she seems like a total bitch. Yeah, she seemed like she was removed from this situation because she, she had bigger things on her mind, because... And we, we find out a little later, especially there's like a note that Annie reads later about Ellen sort of just blatantly telling her like, you know, our sacrifice of, you know, our relationship and my relation to the family is all for a purpose and that the, the rewards will be worth it in the end, basically is what she says. Yeah. But I mean, obviously at this moment, like Annie doesn't know that. And she's like, you know, my mom... She was very secretive. She was like, well, I didn't really know a lot about her. I'm even looking at all of you people. And I'm like, it, she's like, it warms my heart that there are people here, that there's so many people here. She's like, I'm just sort of surprised because I didn't yeah. know my mom knew this many people. I didn't know anything about my mom is basically what she's saying. 
And some key words that like, obviously you're not gonna know right away as a first time viewer is like when she's like, she had her own, you know, she had her own private rituals and yes. her own private friends. And it's like, oh, weird, okay. Yeah, oh, is it? Like, who are these private friends, you know? And there's a lot of cool things that happen like in this funeral scene, just things that you see that you notice, you see like Annie wearing that, uh, that sort of symbol that appears right. throughout the movie as like I guess the symbol of the satanic cult spoiler <laughs> for you know what's going on and you and you even see um, Ellen when she's in this like open casket moment she's also wearing it um, and you know that translates throughout the movie because it shows up in many important places including the uh, iconic uh, telephone Tell pole that yeah um, and there's also some other like really subtle things that happen in here which are really interesting like the appearance of the blonde man the smiling blonde man Ooh, do yeah you, do you notice that yes there are these people that are like there but they're you know you wouldn't notice them right away but they're like staring right at you Ew, right I exactly i know i know <laughs> it's so crazy and like a lot of them are focused on looking specifically at the characters of like charlie or later peter um right. because they are what you come to find out is that they are like this is their entity this is like their deity yes. this is like who what like one of their gods and it's almost like right and it's almost like they have so much respect but also excitement about it that they can't help but just like smile and like be there to witness this child who's gonna grow up to be their demon leader one of the things that i noticed this time around was that in that diorama we that we talked about it's like ellen's titties out and she's trying to breastfeed yeah. Charlie as a baby it's like ew that is so weird especially when you find out their relationship with each other like obviously it's her granddaughter but overall Ellen being the queen of uh, this cult like you know um, is ultimately like spirit you know that marriage thing that they show that marriage yeah. picture where they're throwing the gold and everything the gold it's yeah. like that it, like she and she's the queen right they, they call her that but then it's yeah. like um so she was like what spiritually married to her granddaughter oh my god oh sick and that was her way of like you know nurturing this person yeah. who ultimately was not going to be her granddaughter obviously she doesn't yeah. see her that way she just sees her as a vessel but right. and that's another that's another thing that you know a lot of people are like look charlie was never charlie charlie was always payment <laughs> like and yeah, so it seems like she it, got payment into her real early on real early on so yeah so but payment is not aware that they're charlie and so you know payment's just kind of growing up as like a, a young girl unsure of herself and um little do we know that it actually i mean again it, it, that's never explicitly stated but I think the general consensus is that Charlie has always been payment and that's why these people are immediately just obsessed with her. And when do you think that transition happened? Through the breast milk? I don't know. I mean, in, the, in <laughs> maybe the breast milk, in the womb somehow. I, it, It's hard to say. I mean, maybe, maybe part of the ritual is her breastfeeding Charlie and um, then that's when shit must have turned for Charlie to where Charlie's gone and it's pure payment. So that has to be that transition, right? Ugh. 
Yeah. I don't, yeah. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. You know, poor Charlie. Like, you know, she's like a young, young girl. Very awkward. Millie Shapiro has a very unique look. Yeah, she's very unique look. So I think she's perfectly cast for this. Because um, you, you do really feel for her. And uh, you feel for this young girl who obviously has been trained to think that her her grandmother was her only saving grace and that the rest of her family just was not they don't understand her and I think she just assumed that her grandmother understood her but really her grandmother had you know a lot more sinister plans for her um, sinister intentions I should say to be honest her grandmother was literally like grooming her and that's crazy yeah and even, even down to the fact that Charlie's even aware. She's like, she's like, she wanted me to be, to be a boy. And at first you're like, what the hell does that mean? But like, once you realize what it means, you're like, ah, yeah, I get it now. Oh, Miss Ellen. Yes, Miss Ellen making her her debut in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about what it is because it's so simple and it's sort of a jump scare, but it's like it's like the way he filmed it's, it, like the way yeah. she's shadowed or the fact that she doesn't stand out from the surroundings. She's just a part of right. them. It and looks like a real ghost. <laughs> yes, this is like I honestly think probably one of the closest interpretations to what I would assume actually seeing a ghost would probably look like yes like where you're just like you think you're looking at something you're like wait a minute there is someone standing there right yeah it's like you're unsure and you're like kind of squinting to like is this what i am i seeing this correctly like and just standing there and not doing not glowing not anything all just like a shadowy presence yes um and it is and it immediately like just it gives you chills you're like oh my god i saw a ghost one time and it looked like this is exactly what it looked like Oh shit! There we go. Okay, See? we have eyewitness. I swear, I swear. Oh yeah, isn't? Didn't you tell us a, a story about yes. this on this podcast yes. once upon a time? My great grandpa. Yeah, and it's and it's very that like it's just like this shadowy dark hallway, and there he was, and it's like quick like that, like, <gasps> and yeah. when she turns on the light, and she's just gone, yeah. <gasps> and he's like, Tom. <laughs> yes, like, seriously, it's jarring. And it's so simple. No, no, not even, not swelling music, not anything to emotionally manipulate us. It's just purely that visual. And exactly. it's brilliant. And the fact that he can pull that off with just showing us something and being like, that is extremely unsettling. Yeah. That is a testament to his talent. Absolutely. Sure. I think that Ari Aster is a master at simplicity, just dialing it down to the most minimal things. And letting letting it speak for itself. Like, he doesn't have to rely on the thrills and the frills and the jump scares and the loud noises or, like, CGI visuals or any, you know, to really yeah. get at us. He, he just knows how to just, whoa. Like, and that relatable moment is scary. Yes, exactly. I've lived that moment. Oh, my God. I've, I've seen something that I thought was there that wasn't. Like, I yes. know that. Bri- yeah, brilliance, brilliance, brilliance. Love it. In In Charlie's Charlie's classroom, classroom, a bird bird slams into the window, window, killing itself. Charlie goes outside and cuts off the bird's head with a pair of scissors. She spots out of the corner of her eye a woman across the street, smiling and waving at her. Annie experiences a few more strange occurrences in the house, specifically in her mother's room. 
Steve then receives word from the cemetery that Ellen's grave has been desecrated, but he decides not to tell his wife. Annie tells Steve she is going to a movie, but actually attends a grief counseling support group. Annie openly discusses her mother's mental health issues, including the disassociative identity disorder and dementia. She also reveals that her father starved himself and brother killed himself after saying his mother was trying to put people inside of him. Charlie sees a strange light in her bedroom that seems to be pointing to her backyard. Meanwhile, Peter asks his mother if he can go to a party where he hopes to see Bridget, a classmate he's interested in. Annie asks Peter if he invited his sister to go with him since he claimed it was a party related to their school. Charlie experiences a vision of her grandmother in the backyard surrounded by fire. Charlie makes her clucking noise but is shaken out of her trance by Annie. Charlie tells Annie that she wants her grandma. Annie then forces Peter to take Charlie with him to the party. Flustered at having to monitor his sister, Peter blows off Charlie so he can smoke weed with Bridget and their friends. Left unsupervised, Charlie unknowingly eats chocolate cake containing nuts, to which she is severely allergic. Charlie begins choking as she experiences an anaphylactic reaction. Peter carries his sister to his car and rushes her towards the hospital along a dark country road. Charlie sticks her head out of the window in an effort to breathe better. Suddenly, an animal appears in the middle of the road, causing Peter to swerve to avoid it. Charlie's head violently hits a utility pole, decapitating her. After sitting and staring in an entranced state of shock, Peter drives home in a calm daze and goes to bed. The next morning, Annie goes outside when it is light out and is horrified to find her daughter's headless body in the car's back seat. Oh, oh my, my god. god. From the top of this section, this is when we get the first decapitation out of several that happened yes, in this movie. De- <laughs> definitely <laughs> foreshadowing and definitely Miss Ari Aster has a thing for head trauma. Uh, in an interview that I read with him, he said that it's there's something about just that being like the control center for your body. But I also think that being so prevalent in this movie is a really smart idea because payment is an actual deity in the Satan ministries and um, they he is a king in hell that is in charge of like the arts and sciences almost like a saint oh how cute oh <laughs> yeah exactly right like the education of art and science so I think it's kind of interesting because you know you have your left brain your right brain and the art side and the science side and then you can kind of I don't know I kind of can relate that now to well, who Payman is it's like the the mind. It's like all about yeah. what's in the mind. Yeah, definitely. And also the fact that like Annie is very artistic, and um, and so is Charlie. You know, not very good, but she's artistic. <laughs> hey, she had potential. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think you're definitely on the right track there. Like using that sort of real payment mythology to interweave into the story and using them as artists and you know there's always that thing about like tortured artists and how they they have their own sort of psychosis and almost like you have to have some sort of psychosis to be a successful artist like mm-hmm. um, I wonder if that's sort of a commentary on that as well also just the fact that their head is gone it also seems like that's how payment is able to move around oh yeah that's that's probably true and it's also it also just serves as you know foreshadowing for the oncoming events especially to Charlie specifically since she's the one that discovers this bird um, and then chops its head off and then you know the rest is history yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so one again, more of these like really unsettling images happen where you're like, I'm not sure why this is so unsettling, but it is. But there's that scene um, after Charlie goes to collect the bird's head <laughs> and she looks across the street and there's just a woman just sort of like meekly waving at her like, with like this like sort of demented smile. I don't say demented. It's not it's not even that obvious. It's just sort of like what is She's, going on here? Why Yeah, she almost looks like thrilled to see her. Yes. She's yes, like, exactly. Oh my god. Like she's a celebrity or something. Which I guess she is. Yeah, she's them. yeah, she's definitely a <laughs> satanic celeb. Uh, <laughs> she definitely has that blue check mark on Twitter. <laughs> in hell. <laughs> yeah, in hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, you would think that these cult members would have more sense than to give away the plot. Or not, you know, before it happens. But some, I guess they just can't contain themselves. She's like, I just have to go see, you know, but it, it does remind me of that, like, like, that, like, religious zealot sort of thing where it's like they mm-hmm. are just overwhelmed by the spirit. The fanaticism. Yes. Like, I can't help but praise this, this God or whoever it is. And yeah. that, like, I have to go visit and, and make myself know, like, it's, it's. It all kind of comes back to that. And that's such like an uncomfortable yeah. thing to me. Like, I don't know, just maybe it's just me personally, but. Um, yeah, I mean, because, you know, there are people who go to church and feel like they can feel the Holy Spirit and they're very touched yeah. by it. And it's very dramatic and emotional. And it makes me think of like Westboro Baptist Church kind of. Yeah. Or just, I mean, really anything. Like, okay. you know, once they get going and they're like, you feel it? And they're like, yes, I feel it. But it's across the board. It's, you know, payment. Yeah. This cult, cult of payment, Westboro. It's every yeah. church, every yeah. cult that's ever existed. Where they feel like they can reach into your soul and really. Right. It's this idea it of like being close. Like, I'm this close to to God. You know? It, it, yeah. It's like intoxicating. It's, it's euphoric to them. And, um... Yeah, that's a scary thought. <laughs> like, whoa. All right. Take a step back. <laughs> yeah. I do like the way that he displays these people, too. Like, at first, it's the man in the line, and then yeah. it's the woman across the street. But it's not just that she's, like, blatantly standing there. It's almost like she's walking to her car, almost, you know? And then she sees yeah. her through a fence. Like, the way in which he shows them, like, it's like, ooh, it's like... yeah. It's it's like almost like you're looking in your peripheral vision, like is someone staring at me? And you look over yeah. and like, Exa- yeah, it's like, exactly. It's the, but that <laughs> is scary. Like you're like somebody's staring at me. You look over and it's somebody you do not know, especially as a child, and you see an adult across the street doing that to you. That is scary. We start getting this stuff about like the the desecrated grave, which we don't learn exactly what fully happened yet, but obviously something fishy is going on with Miss Ellen's grave. And, and then Steve, you think, who did it? You know, uh, you're like, yeah. who the hell would desecrate a grave? But yeah, and also you're like, wh- okay, wh- what does desecrate even mean at this at this point? We don't know that it means her body's been dug up, or like, it just means where like, is the body? Right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 but that I mean, that could mean the body's gone. The body's still there. It's it's in pieces on the lawn. It's you know, <laughs> you know, who knows what that means? But we, <laughs> but we don't know yet. We don't know. So, I mean... It's in pieces on the lawn. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... (laughs) You never know. You never never know. And so, we're like, okay, that's kind of weird. Something 
weird is going on with Miss Ellen's body. And then um, Annie goes to this grief counseling meeting. And I really love this scene. Um, I think this is this is a scene that is not at all supernatural related. This is no. just a depiction of a woman grieving uh, somebody that she wasn't necessarily close with, but yeah. still has deep love for i mean at the end of the day she was like she was my mother i do i love her but um we have trauma and we have a past and and it's interesting because you kind of see her guarded throughout the movie or before this you know she's kind of like she even says to steve at one point she's like should i be sadder (laughs) and he's (laughs) like i mean he's like it'll come and then this is the moment where she's finally able to sort of release her feelings because she doesn't have almost that like enclosed capture of like the dollhouse representation around her mm-hmm. you know that she's in an unbiased situation where she can sort of just barf up her feelings about yeah. the whole situation and i think she is so good in this monologue and it's just it's beautifully written and it's beautifully written it's and she's just i mean every part that she gets in this it's just oh yeah it's amazing and this yeah. obviously is the first one and it sort of escalates so this starting off is a nice starting point for really peeling back the layers of this character yeah but sure. this i think is the conversation that is the most disturbing to me and i think it's because in my mm. own family i've talked about it on here before that schizophrenia runs in my family and i was like yeah. waiting like years and years like uh, okay i'm like 30 now so i'm like okay it, this could be the last year that i <laughs> developed signs Ooh, and symptoms yeah. you know and so it's always scared me to think that that could happen to me and that i could eventually be and i think even just having dementia or alzheimer's or something that just where you just are not yourself anymore and so these things that she's describing her father starving himself and the brother thinking that his mom was putting trying to put people inside of him so he hung himself it's like those are very relatable stories for people and i i almost wonder because ari aster hasn't specifically said what about his personal life caused him to write this but he said it's very personal and close to home and all i can imagine is that sort of genetic pass on of mental illness. Well, that is absolutely what it is. I listened to an interview with Ari Aster where he says he has like an extreme fear. Uh, he's a not necessarily death, but of death or like imminent death, like contracting mm-hmm. some sort of life threatening disease or mental health issue or something like that. Yeah. He's like, I, he's like, it's not the death part that's scary. It's like the dying part that is like that the is suffering scary. And or the, the suffering or the, yeah. So uh, you could see that here that this is part of his own trauma or, or personal feelings on it. It's um, it, because in, in this monologue, she is sort of revealing that she has her own past now that deals with trauma and that it is and then we as the movie progresses we see that how it how she also might have her own battles with psychosis because you know she talks about her mom having did and yeah you know all the things like that and it all probably even ties back out into her the name hereditary like it's like the fear of the people that have come before you and what they could possibly pass on to you and um, yeah, which then makes sense why Annie is so protective over her kids and didn't want yeah. uh, the grandma to be around Peter and just that sort of 
you're like, oh, okay, you you start to put the pieces together too here. At the end of it, she goes into this part where she's like, and at the end of the day, I'm blamed for this. And I just think that's like a really poignant way to end that monologue because that's where she is. She's in this position where she's blamed for <laughs> causing all this yeah. trauma in her family, but it's really the family's trauma just following her, you know, goes down yeah. the line. Yeah. yeah. I've literally seen like members of my family like have literally what seems like psychotic breakdowns and one of them, you know, being schizophrenic and so many mem- members of my family are like locked away for literally being schizophrenic. So I'm like, <gasps> when I hear people like, especially when you have a great performance, like the one Tony Collette is giving, just sort of like tapping into that. It's like, I get chills and I'm like, this isn't even, like you said, this isn't even one of the scary supernatural parts of it, but it's a a genuine human fear. Like it's, it's, it's rooted in reality. And that's, this is is real life horror. Scary. Right. Yes. You know, and a lot of people, you know, wanted this movie and this movie originally was conceptualized as a, just a family drama. Like it wasn't conceptualized as a supernatural horror film. It's like a select group of people who were like disappointed that it did end up kind of culminate into being about this like satanic cult or whatever. But um, I mean, I, I think it sort of balances out. I think it gives both sides what they want. Um, yeah. And Ari, Ari, Ari Aster even said it. It's like, look, like, yeah, you, you do get the psychological drama, the family stuff, the trauma, like all that is in there. And then the other people also get what they want, which is like the horror, the supernatural. And so there's something for everybody in this movie. <laughs> there is. There is. And I know that he said that he sort of transitioned it into a horror movie because it was easier to sell as a horror movie than a family right. drama. Of course. Like, um, and also that there was a lot of, you know, almost the same as like when we talked about last week that follows is that, it, you know, there's just so much potential, you know, to be something even more than just a family drama. Like it could also transcend genres and that's exciting for people, I'm sure. And yeah. now that's, and it was the first of now two horror films for Ari Aster, who I don't even know if he ever intended to be a horror movie director specifically, but he's now, <laughs> he's locked in. <laughs> Oh my god. Charlie sees the grandmother um, sort of like surrounded by fire. And so that's kind of like when I'm thinking, okay, this is either like a generational curse of like mental illness or there's something witchy going on or because that's very like, you know, that's like classic witch imagery dancing around a fire sitting there totally yeah i i feel like this is when the plan is really starting to go into effect like i feel like there's a lot of ritual that goes into uh, you know getting payment from charlie into peter like i feel like it's not an easy process obviously and Mm -hmm. so I feel like maybe even Ellen's death is part of the design, and but she's still able to come back and continue these ritual things. Like, who knows what she was doing around that fire, but it doesn't look like it's anything other than some sort of satanic ritual. <laughs> yeah, she was probably more powerful or able to pull off more after death. Like, she, oh, she can move absolutely. around easier. She can fly here and there. <laughs> she is now. Yeah. Ellen just <laughs> flying around. Um, I Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's probably closer to the spirit world than than ever at that point. Then we go to the party. <laughs> Ooh, I know. I know. Well, I mean, it's interesting because 
before they get to the party, there's like this interaction where Peter's like, can I go to the party? And he's like, I don't know why he feels the need to lie to her about it being a school function, especially when she's like, I know she's like, I'm just, I'm not judging you for if you're going to drink. I just need to know like if you're going to drink and drive basically. Um, But he still feels the need to like, Oh no, it's just a school thing. And then I don't know people there's like sort of a divide whether they think that like she vindictively made him take Charlie to like be a you know rude to Pete not rude but vindictive towards Peter or yeah she's she like you're taking ca- her and now you yeah. really can't drink right exactly but like, also it seems the- like she forces Charlie to go because she wants her to be involved like obviously yeah. Charlie's a little detached from with yeah. her surroundings and so she's like you're going to this party I think she thinks it'll be good for her. I know. And that and I I honestly thought that's what it is. But a lot of people are like, oh, well, I mean, maybe it's a mix of both. Maybe it's a mix of, you know, well, you're really not going to drink and drive because you have to take your sister, which is kind of shitty towards Charlie because then she's just sort of used in the situation. But I do think that Annie does generally want her to, to get out and hang out with other kids. I wonder yeah. if Ellen really did have her claws into Charlie as much as he did. Now that Ellen's gone... Annie doesn't have time to focus on her work as much, so she's like trying to figure a way to get Charlie out of the house too, so she doesn't have to worry about her. So she yeah. can work on her work, and which is inherently a selfish act, you know. But I mean, also but she's uh, got to get her shit done too. <laughs> exactly, and also it's just the way she describes it to Charlie. She's like, because you can be around people your age, you can be yeah with friends, make friends, like yeah. try. Well, I, mean, al- I mean, also there's probably nothing more just like scary for a parent than for their child not to you know feel like like they're accepted or like they're different and you know every parent wants their kids to be you know have friends and have that normal experience and I'm sure it's probably just frustrating for Annie and she's really trying her best and probably in this moment she's like this is this is a great solution okay here's a school function go out there socialize but i don't know if she's like fully grasping that it's more than that with charlie like she obviously is just not that that kid you know yeah oh so then they get to this party right and the, uh. i think this part is funny because there's just a mountain of nuts on the counter <laughs> just being chopped feverishly and we've already like had a few hints throughout the movie that charlie is very allergic to nuts <laughs> and so I, th- I thought it was really I liked how in a movie full of subtlety in this moment he's like it's literally, so obvious it's so obvious that there's a mountain of nuts <laughs> being chopped on the counter for a for one cake for a like, chocolate cake yeah and we keep seeing Charlie eat these enormous chocolate bars so we know she likes <laughs> chocolate literally she's like eating the Willy Wonka okay obviously she's dying from an allergic yes. reaction <laughs> yes like we know what's gonna happen are there nuts in that but we don't have the EpiPen so yeah so you know he brushes his little sister off cause you know he's like I wanna be me I'm a you know, an older. I want to go smoke up from the bong. Yeah, I want to go hit that bong, and I want to hit that ass. Right, and, and um, she's just gonna be in the way, just attached yeah. to him by the hip. No, but this is a very scary thing. Okay, like her yeah. eating this chocolate cake and going into anaphylactic shock. Ah! Oh, my, oh my gosh! God. This is one of those things that I'm also afraid of because I'm always like, you know how people develop allergies later on? So every time I go and eat like seafood or something, I'm like, <clears throat> this is it. 
Is my throat closing up? <laughs> oh my god! I think I, ha- I think I have like a mild, mild allergy to like soy milk, and sometimes I'll get like a soy latte from Starbucks. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, I'm dead. I'm dying. I'm dying. <laughs> but it's it's just my throat like gets a little itchy, but. So I can't even imagine how little Miss Charlie's feeling in this moment when she's literally shoveling just a whole yes. thing of planters peanuts in her mouth. Nut allergies are severe. I remember oh. one time this girl went to anaphylactic shock at my school because somebody <gasps> opened a Snickers in class. Oh my god. Oh my god. Was there a test that day? <laughs> uh, this bitch trying to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not allergic to nuts. Oh my god, salty nuts. <laughs> yeah, with hair on them. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. What would you do? What do you do? I think I would react the same way as Peter. Like, I don't have the EpiPen. Like, I, I just have to, like, carry her out and rush to the hospital. Yeah, and, and he does. And, like, I think Peter proves to be a very good brother in this scene. Yeah. Scoops her up right away. And, um, you know, starts rushing her to the hospital. But also, he was just ripping that bong. So, he, who knows, you know, how he's feeling, his state of mind, his reaction time when he's driving. Yes. You know, they're driving. And this is, there's some, like, really, oof, just intense shots of, of Charlie <gasps> just, like, struggling in the back seat to breathe and just clawing out the seats and the windows. You feel it. You're like, oh my god, I can feel my chest tight just watching her react. Right, and then you know, poor poor little soul, bless her, she she rolls down that window and sticks like half her body out the window (laughs) to get some fresh air and then pow, slam, boom, crack sound of your head it flies off into the street because an animal shows up in the middle of the road like yes he swerves and we see that pole coming right at us we see it hit the front of her head from the back and all we hear is like oh Oh. (laughs) and in your and your stomach just drops and you're like oh shit like every time i've watched this movie now well the two times i've watched it uh, my reaction is the same. Everyone around me's reaction is the same. Where you're just like, <gasps> yeah. well, especially, especially because I think the marketing really, <laughs> I think kind of helped out in a way because it sort of did make this movie feel like it was going to be another one of these like little, little girl kid. possessed movies. Yes, exactly. You know, another conjuring rip off, you know, some of that sort. Where or like the the Ouija movie that came out, you know, <laughs> yeah, very that she was on the poster. Like yeah. I remember mostly seeing the poster of Tony Collette and the girl and, and Millie Shapiro just like uh, together. That was like the main poster, and so right. I remember thinking like, oh, I did not think she was gonna die this soon in the movie. No, I was like, <gasps> just <gasps> boom, head gone, and she's out of the picture, and you're like. Oh, I did not see that coming at all. She didn't see it coming at all. And we're all in shock. So we're literally sitting there with Peter like, what could what could you even possibly do in this moment? I just th- I just think his performance right here is like so Perfect. spot on. Yes. He, just the sitting there in complete shock. And then when he starts like asking like her name, like, like, are, like you okay? are you okay? <laughs> like... 
<laughs> Which, when you say it like that, I know exactly what you're thinking. It's a very <laughs> scary movie three. <laughs> Just looking at the headless body. Are you okay? No. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, his his acting, again, Alex Wolf in this role yeah, as Peter, whoa. he does a fantastic job. I mean, he really holds up to Tony Collette's performance as well. As, because you're just sitting there just trying to rationalize what you just saw as well. You're like, oh my god, what the fuck just happened? And then you're just watching him and it's almost like looking in a mirror (laughs) of like, what just happened? What just happened? Like, what the fuck? My next question is, what was in the road? Like a dead cow or something. I almost felt like it was Miss Ellen, like, laying there in her really? white nighty. Oh, but maybe. It's I mean, so th- fast, but it's white. It's very white. And you always see her depicted with this white gown on in like these dioramas. And especially because we saw her in white around the circle of fire earlier. So it almost seems like it was like her distracting her because obviously she has big plans for Charlie's payment soul, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. It's almost like Charlie was holding him in until she could find a way to, like, transfer it to Peter because he needed a male host. Right. And I mean, I think that this moment is orchestrated somehow. I don't know if we have to dispend our our disbelief a bit here. Like, how are they going to know all these events are going to happen? But, I mean, when the pole hits Charlie and we're, we are zooming towards it, like the camera... The symbol Mm -hmm. is on the pole. On the pole, yes. It seems like a calculated sort of fate, you know, designed by the... By the the cultists, yeah. Yeah, almost like this is what I was saying about Ellen being more powerful now that she's dead, is that, like, she was able to orchestrate this perfectly, knowing what was going to happen, knowing how he was going to react, knowing her head would be chopped off. Like, it's like... I I mean, I wonder if, like, from beyond the grave, like, the cultists went and slaughtered some animal and left it in the middle of the road for this situation. I wouldn't put it past that to happen. Everything that happens after is just sort of ramps up like there is a goal and we gotta achieve it and this was the first step of the plan right and then we we move on where he he gets to the house and i mean he's in so much shock he's like i'm just gonna go to bed and then you know you you just hear it and the fact that they don't show you don't show it we're experiencing this from peter's perspective now yes where he's just where the camera's just on his face and he's listening to his to his mom go hey i'm gonna go out and buy some whatever firewood or some shit from the market (laughs) and then you he she goes outside and then you literally he just hear her discovering this headless body of her daughter in the back seat and it's gut-wrenching. It's yes. so intense. And Tony Collette's scream, honestly, oh. is soul-shattering. You're and like, it goes <gasps> on. And it goes from there yes. to her just having a full-on meltdown. And she's, like, screaming that she wants to die. And honestly, like, I I think of my mom in this moment. Yeah, I mean, my mom has told me so many times. She's like, if anything ever happened to you, your brother, I would just want to kill myself. And I'm like, oh god, mom, please don't. No, 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 no. That's not the way to handle it. But you know, yeah. but that's but that's like but part that's of like a parental, the mother, a parental yeah. thing. I mean, not just mothers, fathers too. I'm sure. Um, but you know, that's your child, right, yeah. and 
and mm-hmm. she's just grieving and screaming that she's like, I want to die. I just let me die. Like the pain is too much. Yeah, it is. It, it is. almost feels like that's coming from a very real place. Like, I mean, and just the fact that it's coming from like the very bottom of her gut, like the scream. Yeah. It's so, <sighs> it feels so real. It's yeah. acting. It is so yeah. perfect. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. So let's see what happens. As, As Annie, Annie sobs hysterically. <laughs> yeah, understatement. <laughs> The family holds a funeral for Charlie. As the family attempts to continue on with life, Steve looks through Charlie's sketchbook of drawings and Peter experiences a panic attack while smoking weed. Peter arrives by bike at home in the dark and struggles to walk inside. Annie watches and grieves alone while sitting in the car in the driveway. Annie drives to her grief support group meeting, but decides to turn around while still in the parking lot. However, before Annie can leave, fellow group member Joan, played by Anne Dowd, spots Annie and stops her to talk, assuming she is still grieving her mother. After hearing about Charlie's death, Joan confides in Annie about the loss of her own child and grandson and offers to be there if Annie needs to talk. When Annie returns home, Steve makes a pass at her, but Annie rebuffs him. She decides to sleep in the treehouse, a ritual she now continues every night. Peter hears Charlie's clucking noise and sees what he thinks is a vision of his dead sister in his room, but it appears to be his own hoodie in the corner. Annie visits Joan at Joan's apartment, telling her about a sleepwalking incident in which she doused Peter and Charlie and herself from head to toe in paint thinner before waking up to find herself preparing to light a match. Annie explains that her relationships with her children was never the same afterward. Steve finds Annie constructing a disturbing diorama of the scene where Charlie died. Steve, Annie, and Peter have a chaotic dinner, during which Annie unleashes that nobody, especially Peter, will take responsibility for the accident. Peter responds by reminding Annie that she was the one who forced Charlie to go to the party. Uh, so then we, we're we also seeing that how the trauma is affecting everybody else in the family, not just Annie. Um, you know, Peter starts having a horrible anxiety and we've talked uh i think we've probably talked about this on the show before about how when you already have anxiety and you do something like smoke weed sometimes it has the possibility of making it (laughs) worse yeah sometimes you get one of those sativa strains that really just takes it over the edge hell yeah and so so peter over here is like his, he's with his like douchey straight friends and then they're just like laughing about I don't know something stupid and then he's like fully having a panic attack Aww. and they're like are you okay and he's like just hold my hand and I'm like oh poor Peter I would have been there for Peter if I were his friend of course like if you are if you have a fucking soul you better <laughs> and just the grieving like you really feel that this family is grieving you almost don't know where Steve is Steve's kind of like one of those silent types Yes, he's definitely somebody who internalizes. Yeah. And and, he, and I think he's doing it because he knows that his wife is obviously outwardly emotional. He needs to provide strength and stability. Right, yeah. He's, he's the man of the house. He needs to provide, you know, a pillar, a shoulder, and he needs to keep everybody, you know, grounded. So that's where I think he is. I don't think he's grieving any less. He's just probably grieving on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. But then this is when we start getting kind of hints that there is some resentment toward, you know, between Peter and, you know, I would say Annie, I guess like, you know, just seeing him struggle, struggle to even walk into his house. 
you know yeah where the, there is probably emotional chaos happening and the insane amount of guilt he, that he guilt must be feeling blame yeah pressure mm-hmm. you know to pressure to take responsibility whose fault is it who isn't and like just walking into that house again this house that we've seen as a dollhouse it's you know just like going back into the house is a struggle and so um we're seeing that right here and then we're also seeing annie in that car probably we've already seen that she likes to sleep in the tree house now because i don't know if it makes her feel closer to charlie but now she's also sleeping in the place where the where the accident happened is that the same car is it? I think it is. It probably is. Would you ever? Would you still drive that car? No, I would I have know. to get rid of it. Would you buy that car knowing that happened? No, it's probably hunted. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hunted car. That's a hunted car. Um, <laughs> no, I would not. I definitely. The, the blood stains come out. I mean, I don't know. It, that. Oh is my god. Frightening. But yeah, oh, it's kind of like that thing where. The, the, the di- even the dioramas that she makes like of these like kind of traumatic moments of her life and now she's yeah. sort of doing it in real life where she's on the outside looking at her house and being in the space. Yeah, which is what happens in the section where Steve sees her creating that diorama of the accident. Literally like headless like the head. Charlie. The head is on the street. She's and all he's coloring like, what the-? it. Like painting. Yeah, he's all, what the hell are you doing? And she's like, what? It's just an unbiased perspective of the accident. And it's and like... That was the a big clue for me. I'm like, okay, she. this is how she compartmentalizes. This is where she puts yeah. her trauma into these places so that they're controllable. Like, she can yes. even change it if she exactly. wants to. Exactly. She's the, she's the manipulator of the dollhouse. Like, yes. she is able to yeah, she can look at it from the outside and be like, this is, I don't know if she doesn't think it, it doesn't make it real, but it helps her, I guess, process, but also probably keeps her from actually dealing with it head on. Ooh, and bitch, you that know. fucking shot of Charlie's head, like her actual head, with oh! the ants crawling on uh, it and the tongue uh, hanging out. Oh my gosh, it yeah. is jarring. Yeah, Ari Aster does not shy away from showing the head no. trauma. <laughs> and it comes out of nowhere. He's like, look at this. Like, ah! <laughs> oh my god. Help. Help. I know, I hate ants. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I hate ants. They're so <laughs> gross. <laughs> <laughs> we also meet this bitch, Joan. Ooh, I love Joan. She's well I think played. Her- She's well played by Miss Ann Dowd, I, who is great. If you've seen um, *Handmaid's Tale*, uh, she plays Aunt Lydia. She's she's just a fantastic actress at being like, I don't know. She's just great. She's great, mm-hmm. and she's great in this. I wonder what her story is with when we meet her. Her and Annie exchange stories. Like Annie now is like not only grieving her mother, but now grieving her daughter, which I think is a bigger grievance for her. Yeah. But then, also, like, God damn, I'm so sorry. I wow. know. I'm like, wow, your life just is really here? tragic. Um, you've lost a lot of people. Um, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. You're the common <laughs> yeah. denominator. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the common denominator here? You. Your mom died. Your child died. Your brother, your dad, your mom, yeah. your child. Like, who's next? Yeah. <laughs> who's oh next? Oh, my God. Actually, th- who's next? <laughs> Honestly, out now that you just put it like that, Annie's life is really sad. <laughs> it's really sad. I, yes. I mean, I guess I, we could have gathered that just from watching the movie that her life is sad, but... 
I know. That look how awesome. dark and depressing it is. Um, yeah, jo- Joan uh, gives also some kind of, you know, backstory where she says that her son and grandson yeah. also died. And you're like, hmm. And once yeah. you find out who she is, you're like, I wonder what went down with that. You know what rem- this reminds me of? This reminds me of that moment in Midsommar when uh, Pele is talking to Danny and he's like, my parents died in a fire. And then you're like, yeah, the-? you know, it's like that exactly. s- sort of same moment. We're like, like, does it have anything like, to do with the, fi- the plot of the story? Right. Exactly. Like they're like disclosing something that happened and you're like, wait, do I have to, can I f- somehow figure out how this has also happened to her or, you know, something like that. You know, Joan, she offers to be this like shoulder for Annie to lean on. And um, you're like, she's being very nice. But honestly, at this point, I what. Just because knowing that this is obviously a scary movie, I'm like, there's probably something suspicious about her. But at this point, Annie, she's not very suspicious. I think she's just she's not expecting somebody to to reach out and want to help her. But she is a fan of unbiased perspective, right? And I think that's why she buys into Joan so quickly. Annie takes up Joan's offer, like you said. She loves that unbiased opinion, and she tells her about this sleepwalking incident which then paints her as a red herring for the desecration of Ellen's yes. you're like oh this yes. bitch does shit without even knowing yes yeah, so when she's sleeping and you know I think it's like is this early signs of her having her own sort of psychosis just like her mother supposedly had her father supposedly had um, and I think that probably is a real fear for Annie that eventually this will consume her as well and and you know I don't know if she like just like lives in a state of denial about it that it's just sleepwalking like it's just not a, it's not a big deal but um, but when you're splashing paint thinner on your kids to light them on fire yeah which and I wonder why that happens and the only thing I can fathom is that yeah. like and I think I read this in the article I was reading where it's like this is like a subconscious thing like where she's constantly trying to protect her children like there's like something in her that knows her children are destined for doom and so that's why she wanted to get an abortion and then Ooh, why she okay. tried to yeah. burn them. And it's almost like she was trying to subconsciously protect them. Because how do you not know that your mom is a devil-worshipping queen of Witch. hell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what? How do you not know that? I mean, I mean, maybe that is true. Maybe that is her subconscious trying to save her children's soul. But also the mother being so present in her life, maybe she was just fucking worried. She's like, my mom drove my dad to starve himself to death. He, She drove my brother to suicide. I, I'm right. kind of fucked up over this. I don't want my kids to be subjected to this. Right. Or maybe it's just this idea that she honestly never wanted to be a mother. Oh. And maybe it's her subconscious coming out and trying to rid herself of the burden of children that she never wanted you know because we do find out later that she never wanted to have peter and that right. she was kind of forced she was forced by her mom to have have peter and so then she like ran away not ran away but um you know she distanced herself from her mom and then you know charlie came along and mm-hmm. she gave up on her and gave her to the grandma and so Maybe maybe she ne- it was her subconscious trying to to rid herself of this thing that she never wanted. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's so many. Or it's just the fear though. of that sort of like we were talking about earlier, passing on mental illness oh, yeah. or just her family's issues into the genetics of her children. I don't know. 
Because some I mean, people yeah, maybe, really do not want to have kids because of that. Yeah, and it's like, I don't want to bring somebody into the world that could potentially suffer from this or that. And so, yeah, I, maybe that's what it is, too. Yeah, I, I mean, again, it's never like explicitly explained why she did this paint thinner moment in her past. But I do think it gives a lot of insight into Annie's character. And it does come back a little later. Bitch, this uh, monologue that Annie gives at the dinner table when she completely puts Peter on blast and she's like, I'm not going to deal with your attitude. I need you to take some form of responsibility for what happened, which I think in a way his guilt and what these panic attacks are, are him sort of taking responsibility. He's aware that this is partially his His fault, fault. but right. I th- yeah, I think he is taking responsibility. <laughs> it's hard to say, but I think in a way he also blames his mom. He's like, well, you made me take her, and they, they're they stuck at a crossroads where nobody was willing to take full responsibility. Even her. Yeah, she's yeah, putting this responsibility on everybody else. Like, you need to admit what you did. It's like, you're the one that made her go. I tried to just go by myself. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and it's explosive. Like, she, like... It's like oh. every emotion she's been fe- like harboring, which is, you know, other than just the grief comes out. But honestly, my favorite part about what she says, it was when she says, you know, and like what a waste if it would have brought us together, you know, that it could have brought us together as a family to, to be like, you know what, we are tighter than ever because we, we realize how precious life is and you know now one of our family members like our close like my daughter your sister is now not with us anymore we need to be closer than ever but she says it does the opposite it's torn the family apart and um that that is the worst part about it she's like we are we are more we are more distant from each other than ever now because nobody will take responsibility and he blames her and again it's more blame more blame on Annie and I think that she's just like at a at a breaking point now mm-hmm. you know if, if they weren't already blaming her for everything else in their life imagine now you know I, I do I think it's, there's only one part where I kind of laugh do you know what I'm talking about is the way yes. he goes when he's like he's like uh, when he pretty much tells her, I was like, well, you're the one who told me to take her to the party, whatever. And then Tony, her face, she's like staring at him with this like, you little motherfucker like face. And she's like, yeah, it's like this frown on her face. Like and a she's scowl. Like, sti- like a scowl on her face. That's actually kind of funny. But no, like, you know what part I thought you were going <laughs> to say when she goes, and you sit there with that face on your fucking <laughs> face. Yes. <laughs> That is good. I do like what she says. That face on your fucking face. Because, and it does, and that feels very true too. Because, like, at first you're like, you you know, you kind of chuckle during that when she says that. But it's also like, it's just that clumsiness of not being able to fully express yourself because your emotions are so high. Yeah, you're not like articulate. Wow. Just like perfect. Exactly. (laughs) Articulating yourself well, you're just. It's just pouring out of you and you're not saying yeah maybe the most constructive things or you're not saying the most appropriate things in the moment you're because just, of where it's coming from yeah where it's coming from it's coming from like a true genuine place like you are left feeling emotionally drained after this scene 
there is something uh, about how everybody's processing their own trauma here. Um, I, I saw some really cool thing, like, things online about like just the difference in lighting on everybody and you know how they, they really make every line on Tony Collette's face pro- like prominent here and um, you know just showing that how weathered and just at her wits end she is. Um, I thought that was really interesting and even just like down to the lighting having like this like green sickly hue to it you know like it's almost like this like green yellow light in this room that just like makes it just almost like sickly uncomfortable feeling. Peter when they show his reaction shots to what Tony Collette is screaming at him his reactions seem like he was genuinely frightened by her performance. Oh, probably. Can you imagine sitting there just being yelled at? I would, (laughs) my jaw would be on the floor and I'd probably laugh afterwards when she was finished. Like, is anybody else witnessing this? Because this is incredible. (laughs) Annie runs runs into Joan at an an art supply store. store. Joan Joan excitedly explains to Annie that she attended an open seance that changed her skepticism about psychics. Joan tells Annie that a medium was able to conjure her dead grandson, Louis, and taught Joan how to conduct a seance as well. Joan insists that Annie come over to witness a seance firsthand. Joan seemingly makes contact with Louis, who uses a glass and a chalkboard to communicate. Joan assures Annie that she can conduct a similar conjuring herself by using a personal item from the deceased, reciting a cryptic incantation, and making sure that her entire family is in the house during the summoning. Annie leaves disturbed and hears a clucking sound while driving home afterward. Annie wakes that night to find a swarm of ants leading to Peter's dead body. Annie wakes from a sleepwalking trance over her son's body, prompting a conversation with Peter. Peter asks why Annie is seemingly scared of him. Annie involuntarily confesses that she never wanted to be Peter's mother and tried to have a miscarriage. Suddenly, Peter and Annie are covered in paint thinner and they go up in flames. Annie suddenly wakes to discover that she was experiencing a vision within a vision. Annie recites Joan's incantation with Charlie's sketchbook while Steve and Peter sleep. Claiming she summoned Charlie, Annie excitedly wakes her husband and son for another seance. Steve is concerned that this will upset Peter, but reluctantly goes along. Charlie seemingly possesses Annie, using Charlie's sketchbook as a conduit. Steve snaps Annie out of her trance by dousing her with water as Peter cries from confused fright. Scary. Oh my god. Okay, so now we're we're getting to it. So I again, I I love Miss Ann Dowd as Joan. This scene <laughs> is so good. So Annie is casually walking out of this craft store getting her supplies and Joan just happens to be in this parking lot. Um, you know, knowing what I know now, it can only be assumed that she this is part of the plan. This is part of the setup. They are clearly stalking this family. Yes, and she's like, and Annie's little sketch is like, Joan, of all people to see? Oh, hi. And uh, Miss Joan is giving the performance of her life, convincing <laughs> Annie about this seance and everything. And um, one of my favorite techniques that she does throughout the scene is that Tony Collette is like, she's like trying to like look away and like, she, uh... will, she will not let her not look at her. Like every time... T- 
Tony Collette looks away and down, grabs her and like makes her look at her. Like she's like, won't let her leave. And she's like, no, I know what you're thinking. No, I, I, I know. I get it. I, I was the same way. Yes. And then, and you know, and Annie's like, oh God, please. And she's like, t- literally physically like grabs her and like, not like forcefully, but just like gently like keeps on like, you're not, I, I'm not going to lose your attention here. You need to keep listening to me. Um, uh, I just think it's so brilliantly acted. Yeah. I, I love that moment. Um, and she convinces her. She's like, look, like, look, come over. And I mean, she convinces her to at least go over, not necessarily that it's real yet. Yeah. And then the actual seance, it's like, okay, so you expect me to believe that you went to this seminar where the psychic was able to yeah, bring your Louie through, you know, and like connect with you. And now you're just so magically able to do it yourself. Yeah. Joan... I I think I love this seance scene. I it I think it's it's really fun and really dark. Yeah, but also very subtle. Like nothing nothing gets yeah. thrown across the room or anything. It's just oh, yeah. little subtle movements and things. Yeah, the glass moving. Honestly, I think Tony Tony's performance in this scene of just her being so overwhelmed by this seance and like yeah. she like once she like f- first feels that presence of something in the room, she's like, wait a minute, hold on. There's something going on here. And then Joan um, starts going into this almost like, like what I said before, that sort of zealot, like religious fanatic, like talking to the dead kind of moment. And she is just so, there's like, this is not where I need to be mentally right now. Yeah. And she's just so overwhelmed. Um, And just seeing her break down kind of during the seance is uh is it's really incredible it also helps sell this because i think at this point as an audience you're so accustomed to when you see a seance in a horror movie you expect it to be over the top books flying and people being thrown across the room and yeah drag me to hell (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly goats talking um but this being rooted in reality and having to somehow convince the audience that this is scary like the just a glass moving across and maybe just a feeling that the characters are getting did you know that that chalk that chalkboard is a practical effect they were somehow able to put a magnet into the chalk piece of chalk and then there was a magnet underneath the table and they were able to to like move that chalk and draw Whoa. on the chalkboard with a magnet. That's not a CGI effect. I was like blown away by that. Wow. It is so nice when a crew can get crafty. Practicality and performance is all this scene needed to be scary. It's just a testament to Ari Aster's commitment to making a movie that's not cheap horror. It's great. I love that. So this dream within a dream, vision within a vision that Annie has with Peter. Yeah. It's scary. Just the tension that keeps happening between Peter and Annie, telling him that you tried to have, that you wanted to have an abortion, you're forced to have him, so then you tried to miscarry. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. How disturbing and disturbed and traumatic for someone to learn that their mother didn't want them. I know. And it's like, do you think this is a conversation they had in real life? Do you think this is the conversation they had when she doused them and paint them for the first time? Like, are, is this almost like a flashback? Um, I don't know. I, I This one's hard for me to figure out. Yeah, I don't know. But it, it is a very... It is just continuing this, like, disturbing scene after disturbing scene. 
again, but all psychological, all about trauma. And this cult fanaticism that scares you so much, it's passing on to her. And it does kind of seem like one of those things where you're a part of a support group or some kind of therapy or, you know, rehabilitation program that gives you these tools, especially when they're led by like a ministry or a church or something where they're like, find God. And that's really what's going to save your soul. Yeah, And you start to become wrapped up in that. And that becomes your new way of dealing with life rather than using drugs or something. You're then right, of just course. using, you know, the Lord Heavenly Father <laughs> to, yeah. to kind yeah. of guide you and uh, hope that you don't relapse. It's like, oh, th- that's what this reminds me of. It's just like your inability to, like the dioramas aren't working to compartmentalize anymore. So th- yeah. now you have this tool, this thing that yeah. you think you're, you're actually doing. But really, I think it's maybe just resurrecting Payment's soul. Yeah, exactly. I think it's like framed as like a way to to give her closure, to, uh, you know, give her a way to communicate with her her dead child and that it's going to be a good thing for her. And I think that's where she thinks, what she thinks at this moment. It's like, yeah, it's almost like, like you said, like like a drug. It's like, oh my God, this is something that's going to really help me. I feel so, so much better now that I'm using this. But we all know what the CD after effects of you know being too addicted to something like a drug is you know and how how painful and how much damage it can cause and i feel like this is us like because you know all of a sudden she's like she's like come come see this seance i'm doing she's like i'm a medium i'm a medium she's like (laughs) all of a sudden all into this you know the day before she had only had her first taste of it and all of a sudden it's like yeah yeah and now once you realize like oh wait like this has made me feel a little closer to something um i need more i need more and like she becomes obsessed with this idea the seance happens that she does uh really freaks peter the fuck out and makes steve angry and but charlie does show up she possesses annie which yeah. means that pay- I, to me, this just feels like payment is on his way. Like, like he, yes. he's, he's becoming more and more present in their lives. He's now able to kind of take over Annie. And, um, and I think that was get- step two of the plan. It was like step one, right. get the soul out of Charlie. Step two, to teach the family how to resurrect the soul of yes. payment. Cause at this point, I think whatever soul Charlie was born with had probably been devoured by payment like oh yeah he just completely took over yeah yeah charlie was never charlie right exactly and you know we come to find this out later obviously but that you know payment desires a male body and so right now he's again only jumped through two female bodies now now we've had charlie and now this is now charlie inside of annie not he's not satisfied he's like i need to make my way to peter but um we gotta that that's still like the the last part of this plan yeah so we gotta get there but i thought there were some really fun effects that happened in this seance like the the flame going up very reminiscent of uh the exorcist yeah i guess that's it uh, for this section yeah During school, Peter sees the same strange light that Charlie previously saw in her bedroom. Peter notices that his reflection looks back at him with a different expression. 
Steve admonishes Annie for Peter being convinced that a vengeful spirit is threatening him. Annie trashes her studio in frustration when she accidentally breaks a tiny model chair after another voicemail from her gallery pressures her about providing new pieces. Later, Annie finds Charlie's spirit supernaturally drawing in her old sketchbook. Peter sees a vision of his dead sister in the corner and her head falls off turning into a recreation ball on the floor before being choked in his bed by arms coming through his window. Peter accuses his mother of sleepwalking and attacking him again. Annie advises Peter not to tell Steve what happened. Annie goes on to explain that something supernatural is happening in the house and she is the only one who can stop it. Okay, Laurie Strode. <laughs> no, Jesus Christ, it's not about you, Annie. Realizing that the spirit she summoned is malevolent, Annie throws Charlie's sketchbook into the fireplace. Annie's arm mirrors the burning book by also catching fire, forcing Annie to rescue the book. Annie returns to Joan for help, but no one's there, and she does not go inside Joan's residence. The camera shows us Joan's place is decked out in witchcraft paraphernalia, including a photo of Peter inside a ceremonial triangle. Many of Charlie's homemade sculptures and a doormat resembling one made by her mother. Annie finds photos of Joan with Ellen, revealing that Joan and Annie's mother were in the same coven, devoted to gaining riches by conjuring the demon Payman, one of the eight kings of hell, into a male body. Annie discovers Ellen's headless corpse in her house's attic. While Peter sits at school, he hears Joan shouting, I expel you at him from a distance at school behind a fence becoming increasingly more intense. During class, Peter hears Charlie's cluck and begins to be possessed, his body frozen and contorted, his mouth full of blood. He suddenly bashes his head into his desk, snapping out of his trance with cries of terror and pain. Ah! Oh my god! Okay, so this is, I feel, when we really start to turn into, like, okay, this is beyond... A metaphor or a, a sign of like mental illness in the family it's like becoming right. like a real supernatural story absolutely i think we've we've done a lot of the work on you know the mental health and the trauma and the grief and and all these things now it's time to get to the nitty-gritty into and all the spooky dookie shit yeah and link all these pieces together right exactly like why is this happening <laughs> how is this happening I think this is really when things start shifting towards Peter. I feel like this is more Peter's section of the movie where yeah. we see that how much he is um, now being threatened by this spirit. You know, it's appearing to him, you know, as Charlie, um, that scene where he sees her and, and then her head falls off. Like it, it, it's like Payman <sighs> is, is working his way into Charlie or sorry, is working his way into Peter. Yeah. Yeah. And also just this whole idea of the seances, like, have kind of brought him forward. And so now it seems like the power is really kicking up because he is able to manipulate all of these things and images. And when Peter sees his his reflection and it's smiling back at him, it's like, (gasps) oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jarring. And Annie has some PTSD because... Steve blames Annie for convincing Peter that there's this malevolent force after them. And it's like PTSD for her because it is exactly what her mother did to her brother. Yes. Oh, exactly. And you go back to that verbiage that she said in that monologue. She's like, 
Yeah, my brother hung himself after he accused my mother of trying to put people inside of him. It's like, uh, oh, oh, yeah. it's starting to make sense. You're like, oh, we're, the story is really starting to fall into place. The pieces of the puzzle are coming together. Yeah, and also, Annie, again, it, oh. it's more blame on Annie. This is now her fault. This, you yeah. know, which, which is crazy because even though technically this happening is her fault, it's it's actually happening to her you know this yeah. isn't like something that she is making up making this up. is actually happening to her yeah she's like unknowingly being puppeteered into this cult's plan yeah. of course like there is a bigger plan here and it just i don't know if it's just habit or steve's inherent need to protect his the rest of his family <laughs> you know just, you know peter specifically that Again, Annie gets blamed for this, that it's just her her psychosis and it's her this and her, you know, female hysteria that is now convincing her son that there's a spirit after him. But there is. And, you know, and <laughs> there's this, you know, it's kind of what we were saying about her being able to compartmentalize these things um, by making these dioramas. Well, we see her completely destroy them now. So now this this tool that she had that was you know almost a, a therapeutic way of her dealing with grief or trauma or whatever yes. she's now completely destroyed it and now she's full on like man- manic now it's like she was able to put these bl- these blockages up in her brain so that she didn't have yeah. to face this and now having destroyed those it's like a flood of just yeah instability in her psyche and her yeah. soul yeah. Right, exactly. It's like it's like somebody who relapses or something. It's like all the tools that you that you built up and you know, as soon as you get that one thing that uh all of a sudden all those tools go out the window that help you deal with it and now you're you're fully you're fully back into your trauma, you know. So I feel bad for Annie now. She just wants she just wants to do what's <laughs> right and nobody will believe her. It's it. This is really. This is when it gets really unnerving, especially because obviously this is a metaphor for mental illness and the way it's passed on in families. And just like seeing this, you're like, wow, is this is this happening? Because at this point, I think you're yeah. still kind of questioning it. Like, it's not until you really see that witchcraft paraphernalia in um, yeah Joan's apartment that you're like, okay, well there is something beyond this family's psyche. That yeah. it, there's bigger things at play. Yeah, there is a plot against them in a way. You know what I've realized as an adult? This is really random, <laughs> but as we like do these movies, and you know, I guess over the past what year and a half now that we've been doing this, yeah. I think I realized that movies about witchcraft are my favorite <laughs> of all like the horror subgenres. Yeah, I, I really like it used to be like I love vampires and I do love vampires. But honestly, witchcraft movies do it for me now. I think that's yeah. so fucking. Well, there's something it, so, I don't know, relatable in a way. Not that, you know, you're a witch or right. I am. But just something, the fact that it can be related to so many things and the way it can be trans almost like anything can be used as a metaphor. It can be it, the tool is so easily used in some of these plots. Yes that you're like oh okay it makes sense and just it being like almost like this something very old and something very traditional and the way it's been applied across religions and cults and things like that it's 
It's so... Yeah, it just feels so much bigger. It feels like... Yes. It, it, it's like, as viewers and stuff, we're, we're never fully knowledgeable on what the full range of power is. And um, it, it it's, it's... That's a scary thought. Like, what can they do? Like, what is... What is a cult of witches or a coven of witches or what are they capable of? Like, especially when it's done in like a really dark, serious way like this, um, you you know, their, their power is beyond our, our comprehension. And it's like, I don't know. There's something about that. That really, that really excites me. So, but also seeing seeing Miss Jones, witchcraft paraphernalia is like, Oh my God, this is, yeah, this is getting real. It's getting, it's getting good. Get spooky. so we have like uh, these moments now where where Annie is like, okay, I, I've done this now. You know, I you know maybe they're right. Maybe it is my fault that I, I I brought this into us. So I'm gonna try to get rid of this conduit that I used because Joan was like, you need a, an item from the deceased, and she's using Charlie's sketchbook, right? Yes. And she's like, okay, well if I destroy this, it's going to um, destroy it. And she throws it into the fire, and her arm catches on fire, and she's like damn like i'm now i'm stuck like it, it, in order for this to to end i have to die right i'm gonna go up in flames and um she can't get herself to do that herself mm-hmm. she she struggles with this idea of like throwing the book in on her own that's gonna come into play later <laughs> yeah and i was reading that this book it's showing off its ability to protect itself like yeah. it's like instead of it burning it's burning the person yeah. who's attempting to burn it or damage it or something of course and then we have some other like shocking things like finding that her mother's dead body is in the attic the whole time the whole time oh my god and that just makes it more that okay annie maybe is just yeah. crazy and is just maybe doing these things sleepwalking like just like the uh, Peter being attacked in his sleep, choking. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's another one where it's like just how it's how the narr what do I say? The narrator is so unreliable in this moment. Yeah. You don't know what to believe. Because you're like, you see him being choked by arms, you don't know whose arms they are, but it looked like they're coming out of the window behind him. And then um you, then all of a sudden he wakes up and Annie's in the room, but she's not behind him. She's sort of on, like, kind of next to him, like, kind of farther away. And she's like, I came in and you were screaming. He's like, you were choking me. And, and you're like, and, and to us viewers, we're like, we didn't see her choking him. But is this real? Was this another sleepwalking moment? Is this another vision with a vision kind of moment? Yeah, because we're also su- like, she didn't remember throwing paint thinner on them either. Yeah, exactly. So, so what you're is like, this? Yeah. Like, is she, is she actually doing this? Is she not? I don't know. Um yeah we're just so disoriented at this moment it's just almost it's just like a fever dream like Mm -hmm. the tension is building things are starting to make less and less sense it's just pure chaos what do you think is happening when joan is screaming at peter i expel you do you think that's her sort of weakening his spirit so that it makes room for pain oh maybe maybe I, i i to me it's always felt like some it's part of the ritual like she se- she seems to be some sort of I don't know high priestess or something where she has a lot of power mm. and it seems to me like in this moment she's trying to get rid of Peter's soul 
in order to, yeah, like you said, make room for payment. So she's like yelling at for his soul to get out of the body. This scene of Peter in the classroom yeah. is so disturbing. And it's sort of, and again, it keeps playing into this idea of mental illness. Like I remember re- reading about people who are catatonic, schizophrenic, where they can just be stuck in a pose yeah. for hours. And it's like, Oof, this is rough. all playing into these these ideas. Yeah. And- also, the pose that he's in, which I read, like a lot of people say it's the same pose that the the horrible statue of payment at the end of the treehouse. It's the same pose kind of. It's like his, oh, arm, yes. his, his arm is up in a way. It, it's like up in a way that looks like the staff that's in the hand because both the arms are down in the payment statue but there's a staff that looks like a hand that he's holding. Do that's you notice up. That? That's there, up. And it, yeah. And, and, and then the other like, hand is like almost like down, like pointing down. Yeah, it's almost like the the Baphomet, like the classic yeah. old "as it is in heaven, so it is in hell" type of yeah. you know equa- equation. It's like so. This looks like to me like payment is like really starting to beat his way into to Peter, but Peter's fighting back. And I think when Peter like face slams into the desk, I think that was Peter waking himself up. I've never seen it as like Payman doing that to him. Or is it Payman just really upset? Like, let me in, mm-hmm. you You're bitch. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, going ham on him. <laughs> and also, one thing we haven't addressed yet is that Annie finds out that Joan and Ellen were BFFs. <laughs> oh my God. I know. She's like, wait a minute. What in the fuck is going She's on? She's like, what the fuck? She's like, there she is in all these pictures. There was like, pictures of them like you know hanging out at this like sort of wedding drunk in Cabo they were like I'm just kidding <laughs> tops off <laughs> yeah oh my god Bras no. off. <laughs> that's something that would happen in a scary movie if they did if they yeah exactly on a Ferris would be like flipping through this paint these books they're and like, like they're like on a nude beach <laughs> yes <laughs> flashing the Mardi Gras <laughs> yeah getting beads yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, and um, you know what? There's like a subtle moment that I'm like, I don't think I ever rec- realized this until watching it for this. Was when uh, Annie's pulling out the pillows, or like the not the pillows, the doormats, and she sees one that says Annie, and uh, then she pulls out another one, and it says Charles. And I was like, ooh, I was like, that's kind of, that is like, I don't know if Ellen was like made that before Charlie was born and was like mm. hoping it was a, a boy because you know of course payment has always been the ultimate plan but I don't know if it was like manifesting or she just on she was convinced it was going to be a boy or no matter what even if Charlie was a girl she was always going to see him as a boy oh yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was a really interesting subtle touch when, oh God, when she pulls out those that. I didn't yeah. even realize it either until this last time. I've seen this movie like a hundred times. Or maybe Annie's brother's name is Charles. <gasps> That's a good point. Who, wow! Know. All right, that that blew my mind. We may never know. We may <gasps> never know. Should we finish it off? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do it. Steve, Steve brings, brings Peter home. home. 
Annie approaches the car, telling Steve that Ellen's corpse is in their attic, but is now decapitated. Annie also shows Steve the photographs where Joan and Ellen are wearing the seal of payment. Annie explains that their family became cursed when she tried contacting Charlie. Annie also explains the connection to Charlie's sketchbook, adding that Steve needs to destroy it in order to save Peter. Peter sleeps in his room in the background and is not awakened by the conversation. Disbelieving her wild claims, Steve accuses Annie of digging up Ellen's grave. When Steve refuses to burn the sketchbook, Annie throws it back into the fire, even though she presumes doing it will kill her. Instead, Steve spontaneously combusts. A shocked and horrified Annie is then possessed. With his possessed mother hovering in the corner above his bed, Peter gets up to search the house. When Peter leaves his room, the ladder to the attic is withdrawn, missing. Peter finds his father's charred corpse and then is chased by Annie to the attic. The ladder to the attic is now down. Annie jumps up and furiously pounds her head on the attic door after Peter climbs the ladder and retracts it to the upstairs ceiling. In the attic, Peter finds flies, candles, and a photo of his face with the eyes punched out. Ellen's body is gone. Annie suddenly hovers above Peter before severing her own head with a piano wire. Confronted by this horror and three undressed devil worshippers, Peter jumps out of the window. Peter hits the ground below, which seemingly knocks him out. Peter rises after the oddly glowing light seen previously hovers around his body. He makes a clucking noise with his tongue and follows his mother's headless corpse as it floats into the treehouse. An assembly of devil worshippers in various states of undress greets Peter inside the treehouse. Charlie's decapitated head sits atop a statue of Payman. Peter looks around with a dazed, flat expression, and we're shown Annie and Ellen's headless bodies lie bowing on the floor in front of the statue. Joan's voice calls Peter Charlie as a woman crowns him, but welcomes Peter as Payman while the coven hails the demon's arrival. He will bring them endless riches and expose the secrets of life itself. The story ends with a shot of a model treehouse filled with dolls that look like Peter, the coven, and the headless Annie and Ellen. The end. Oh, oh my, my god. god. This is crunch time for Annie, right? Like she is like, okay, I I I know what I have to do. I you know, I have to we have to destroy this thing. I can't do yes. it. So so Steve, it's got to be on you. And um I always, I think this is really interesting because I feel like Annie thinks she has this figured out. And I think yeah. um, that that one thing that she doesn't take into account is that this is not going to be figure out a bull for her. And, that, <laughs> and you know what I'm saying is that it's like we, I think this happens in movies a lot where it's like there's all the characters are always going to come to the answer as if they're just going to know it. And I think this is really interesting because I think she thinks she figures it out and we're on board with her like, Oh yeah, she's figured out she's got to destroy this book and it's going to kill her. And that's how we wrap up this story. But I don't think she takes into account the fact that this is much bigger and much more complex than she even realizes. So when this whole situation happens with her and Steve, and Steve doesn't throw the book into the fire, she does, and then he catches on fire. To me, this is like Payman being like, bitch, you think you got this figured out, but you don't know shit about what's happening. Right. You know, but also I feel like he can only travel and move through their bloodline for some reason. Yeah, that is so. True. Like it, it needs to. The book needs to protect itself, but it can't burn Annie. 
it has right. so it has to transfer its energy almost to somebody else and so it just chooses totally and also steve threatened to call the police and if their plan is going to go into action and if payment is going to get peter's body then a wrench like police is not gonna is not gonna help at all it's it's only gonna hinder the situation and payment's like all right your stupid human police are gonna come and ruin this so you gotta go (laughs) and and burns that bitch alive and um i mean there's a lot of you know talk online and stuff about what they what people think this means because it's not completely clear why this happens but that's my interpretation of it i think yeah it yeah i think it's a mix of like what you said the bloodline thing steve's causing problems and he's got to get out he's got to get out of the way at some point and he's got to be now first of all this these constant memes of uh this annie getting possessed have you yeah. seen the new ones where she's like oh my in God, the full I love face it. makeup? Full face and makeup, <laughs> yeah. it's so hot. I was like, she I looks can't so wait great. She looks great. I was like, yes, Miss Miss Tony Collette in this like Instagram filter with. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, it's kind of strange that it enters that payment enters Annie for briefly, of course. There, this is confusing to me, and um, because when. Payment enters Annie. It seems to be fully aware that it's Payment. You know, it yeah. chases, chasing Peter, banging its head everywhere, sawing its head off, like being generally really scary and aggressive. But then when Peter goes into the attic and sees the devil worshippers and jumps out the window, and then the light goes and possesses Peter, why does he come back as Charlie? That part confuses me every time I watch it. Especially because when Peter wakes up, there's like this like bewildered, like, where am I? Then the cluck happens. And then, you know, we as an audience are like, oh my God, that's Charlie. But was that Charlie that was chasing him through the house? Or was that payment? Or are they different? Or are they not? That is sort of confusing. So one of the, another one of these really subtle, scary moments to me happens in this section. And it's when Peter's walking through the house. And it's all dark and does not turn on any lights for some reason. Because, you know, you don't do that in horror movies. And you walk to this dark house and he looks over. And there's that man standing there. The Uh. creepy blonde man from the funeral standing there butt ass naked. Just standing and smiling in the kitchen in the doorway. It is one of the most frightening images I've ever seen. Yes. It's scary. And it's it's just like the vision that she sees of Ellen earlier. It's just this subtle... Yes. It just is what it is. It's not a jump scare at all. It's just like... I just imagine myself like, what if I like walked into my room and there was just... Or I was like walking through my room and I walked by a door and there was a a naked person in that light. That lighting too also is really terrifying. He almost looks like blue. He almost looks like Ursula or something. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how to explain it. But the lighting is terrifying and he's just standing there with that brilliant smile, butt naked and you're just like, what in the fuck am I looking at? It is... Yeah. Ari Aster, it's one of the things that he does so well. It's, It's, you know, we're always like put into the character's perspective but... It's like these really shocking images of things that you're like, <gasps> it's, but it's so simple. It's so simple. Yeah. Like, why is that so scary and jarring? It's like, 
And he doesn't know what to do with himself. So he just... I mean, Peter, once he finds yeah. that, the man, and then he sees... And then Annie's chasing him and hovering and sawing off her head. And he finds his dad's body. And there's literally nothing else to do but jump out of the window. I mean, yeah. Like, the overwhelming of, like, of like going to the attic, seeing all this, like, sort of demonic witchery seeing that picture of him with the eyes poked out and i and i don't know if this is like for sure a reference but i guess in the original concept of this movie before it was supernatural i guess peter was peter was gonna gouge his own eyes out (laughs) i don't know why i'm not sure why i probably like that doesn't make sense yeah uh, right and um so maybe it was, I, there, people were saying it was like a reference to that, which I think is interesting since how would anybody know that? Anyway. Kind of silly, um, but... Yeah, but then he like turns and then sees three more naked people uh. in the attic. And it's like, what What do I even do? Then uh, his mom saws her head off in front of him. And it's like, I don't know. I, I would rather just die <laughs> in this moment. I literally would rather die. And I think that's what he's thinking. And that's why he jumps out of the window. Because I, I'm assuming that this is what Annie's brother went through before, ultimately. And maybe that's what the ending was going to be, where Peter, where it doesn't work, and Peter gouges his yeah. eyes out instead of, uh, you know, yeah. instead of being a part of this. And maybe that's what Annie's brother did. Who knows? Yeah. But I also think that the, his uh, Payman's ability to get into him once he jumps out of the window sort of is another could be another explanation as to why this happens to him at school maybe Peter has to kind of be weakened in order for uh, Payman to get in like we were talking about Joan yelling at him I expel you and then him getting like damaged and at school and then ultimately flying out of the window there is this idea that when a demon is like attached to you that in order for it to gain control over you, it has to physically hurt you. Like you're physically yeah. being hurt. Oh, yeah. Almost like, um, th- I think this concept plays out in Insidious as well. With, like Insidious 3, like when the girl is mm. constantly being injured because the demon wants to take over her body. Ooh, and okay. so it just, it, or it's how it, they keep control of your soul is by physically harming you so that you're sort of weak in spirit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like that. It's like you have to like he can enter somebody when they're at their most vulnerable, which is why I think it was able to enter Annie when it did. When she sees her husband literally light up in flames in front of her, and she's like that look on her face that, of course, that very famous meme, you know, where she's like, you know, she has that face on, which probably is her at her most emotionally vulnerable, which is why Payman's able to swoop in at that moment. So maybe that's another reason why Steve had to go up in flames in that moment. Like, what is Uh the most traumatic thing? What is the next most traumatic thing that can happen to Annie? You know, to, to like, emotionally, spiritually wound her enough to be vulnerable for me to go in and to light her husband on fire in front of her face. And then, and that's when her face drops. So, yeah, I think that, I think you're definitely right. Yeah. And by the time we get to this ending, where he goes into the treehouse, Annie's body floats up there, all headless, we see Charlie on the payment statue and they're all there naked, bowing down to him, all these dead bodies. Um, yeah. I kind of, I this is the part where, and they're like, hail payment, hail payment. This to me is kind of like, okay, 
okay, and then the ending itself, like the that last shot of the model treehouse with the little dolls that look just like them. It's almost like like how you were talking about earlier, the psychosis of artists. Mm-hmm. It's almost like and even that beginning transition of the room, the doll room turning into Peter's room. I almost wonder, I'm like, is this a story that Annie created with her diorama? It was this her project? Like, is this her way of, was she playing up this idea that her brother committed suicide because she, he literally thought his mother was trying to put bodies into him? Is this a psychosis thing? Is this a mental illness? Or is this cult actually real? Or is it both? Is this cult real? And Ellen's crazy ass was just able to convince them that she was, you know, married to a king in hell and that they would gain all this access to the riches of the world if they were to help her get this soul into different bodies. Oh my gosh, I don't know. Yeah, but it, it, it's possible. I mean, th- there's, a lot, again, many, many theories out there and I think one of them is that none of this is re- none of this has happened in real life. No. <laughs> that it was no. all just... Uh, Made up. A made-up story, a diorama. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's like this possible. is her project. Like her, she's almost like putting her mental illness into, um, like a, into she's like make giving like it a, a purpose. Like yeah, like, like she's like it, making like an exaggerated version or like a, yes, equating like, it to uh, like equating uh, mental illness to demonic possession, and yeah sort of at the same time compartmentalizing the mental illness that is running rampant through her bloodline but also sort of I don't know storytelling being an artist yeah it's it's absolutely possible that's true that's the beautiful thing about art isn't it that it inspires especially when it's this I don't want to say abstract it's not really super abstract but it's it just it's It's open it's surreal Right, it's surreal. It's able to be thought of in many different ways, and um, I think all of them I, are valid. I think if that's yeah. if if you're somebody who thinks that thinks that none of this happened and that it's all just a metaphor for her psychosis, I believe you. If you think it's a straight up movie about a devilish cult, I believe you. You know, yeah, it, it could be any one of these things, and that's what I think is so exciting about what Ari Aster does is that yeah. it could be interpreted in so many so many ways and um i think you know what i would want to believe is that this cult is real and that (laughs) ellen was uh, the ringleader of it all and i think that i like the idea that she was maybe able to convince them that you know this is payment the the god of or the the king of hell who's in charge of unlocking the mind and really being able to you know unleash your brain and be yeah you know to give you that knowledge your high yeah to reach your highest level potential but that that was all made up that that, it is a mental illness but she was able to convince not only her family but also a cult of people you know what i mean and that they're praising them and stuff like that and they were able to dig up bodies and pose them and all this stuff but that you want her to be the charles manson she's a charles manson and then the rest of her family is just visualizing this, you know, it's um, that sense of schizophrenia where you have delusions of grandeur, where you think yeah. you're just, yeah. You think Ooh. you're the shit. 
Or what do you, what would your interpretation be? You just love that. You want it to be real. I mean, I think, all I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I do think for me, I think it is unsettling. Like, this like satanic cult stuff. Like it's always been pretty unsettling to me. And so I do like that it ends this way. Um, you know, I just wish I knew what happens next. Like what, wh- now what? Now what happens to this cult? <laughs> like, do they yeah. really ascend and like, or do they really all become just rich? Like, I don't know. Like, I guess I we'll know. never know. But they, it and, seems like, and I do like that they sort of win in the end. You know. Yeah. And I was reading like, what what um, are the riches? And I guess the yeah, what riches does that mean? are knowledge because that's what payment in real yeah. life or well in the satanic ministries gives you know and that's what they're kind of seeking also and just being that close to him they're hoping that their devotion gives gets them these things but I honestly I think it's all a crock of shit <laughs> <laughs> it's possible I, I, you know, I think it's, it's a crock of shit if you believe it's a crock of shit too yeah, so. exactly. And I love that it's so open-ended. Like, it could be anything. Anyone can... Yeah. There's probably somebody out there who's very smart who's like, no, this is exactly what it is. Oh, because there yeah. are so many things to equate it to these different fractions of mental illness, specifically schizophrenia. And so... And I'm just... I'm in, I'm scared by it because it's so true to yeah. to, you know my bloodline as well but also it's just scary to, to yeah think. absolutely all right and then, you know there's so many things in this movie that we probably didn't even cover i mean there's like hidden meanings of shit that's written on the walls and there's yeah i don't know there's a lot out there so if, uh, it's a fascinating knows? work of art it is it really is there's so much there that we couldn't even we can even touch so don't think that we're not stu- we're too stupid to catch it but you know who who has the time <laughs> we i need know, a five-hour podcast um, so, <laughs> all right. <laughs> final thoughts. My final thoughts are: this is completely unnerving, completely unsettling. <laughs> um, I think that the the what it's a metaphor for the reality behind the metaphor is so true to a lot of people, and yeah. I think that the way Ari Aster has put this into context, like just creating these really unnerving visuals being able to create something so horrifying with just the simplest techniques um it's really just what a debut for Ari Aster seriously and the performances by the cast across the board especially oh. Tony Collette and Alex Wolf I think yeah. that they just their Steal faces alone yeah. it, it's they it could have been a silent film and it would have just been as just as unsettling and so just given the performance that they give and um yeah i have to give this movie as much as i'm disturbed by it (laughs) it is definitely a five out of five i think this is one of the best movies we've ever covered and also one of the scariest agreed yeah this is a big five out of five for me i mean you know a lot of people find it to be pretentious but i think it hits it dead on the nail like i it hits all the marks it's smart it's it you know leaves a lot up to your own interpretation and inspires conversation um the performances are are just brilliant it is intense it is dark it's unsettling it's hard to watch but um ultimately it's just like such a satisfying just beautifully built film 
wonderful debut by Ari. I, I know I'm just sort of parroting what you said, but um, I think you really nailed it. I, I just think it's absolutely spectacular. I remember just being so affected by this. Yes. And um, uh, yeah, definitely one of my absolute favorites. Um, and I love what it's doing for the horror genre and, you know, really, really solidifying its place as like, we can tell really hard hitting, you know, dramatic stories or people that are, you know, relatable stories or, yeah, you know, smart stories within the horror genre that it's not all tits and, and knives, Gore. you know? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's a touch on something you said. There are a lot of people who say things like Midsommar, The Witch, yeah. uh, Hereditary are A24's horrors, basically. Yeah. Um, are, um, pretentious but i mean it's not pretentious because you didn't get it you're, know, you're just exactly. stupid people are like it's <laughs> boring oh really it's oh my god in no way is this film boring <sighs> yeah that drives me nuts i'm like this you think this movie's boring why just because it it's sophisticated it, yeah it's, seriously it's simple it's sophisticated but it's so it's heavy it's dark it's heavy you know and if you want to go enjoy frivolous horror that's great we enjoy it too but there's room to enjoy everything and i think there's something to say about what a movie like this can do to elevate the genre and maybe soon enough the horror genre will be more considered in the acclaimed world or you know for or just taken more seriously. Just taken more seriously. As a valid form of art. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Where people would go, oh my God, I hate scary movies. Like, And also, when you go and you buy gum, don't you want gum with flavor that lasts longer? Oh, that might be the best <laughs> metaphor I've literally ever <laughs> Right? Because it sticks <laughs> with you. This is unnerving. It follows you. This will always be something you can reference. Yep. But, you know, there's some movies that come out that you're just like, this was fun while it lasted, but yeah. I'm never going to watch this again. It's stupid. <laughs> exactly. Totally. All right. Yes. Okay. Yay. We did it. Um, love it so much. And um, Tony Collette, if you're listening, and I know you are, love you, <laughs> love you girl. <laughs> yeah. Queen of acting. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Love this film. And uh, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I hope yes. that you're... Your twisted fucking family has a great Thanksgiving <laughs> eating <laughs> eating fucking pumpkin pie. <laughs> yeah. It's turkey out the stuffing sack. Wait. Oh, <laughs> I said that backwards. Tur- I meant stuffing out the turkey's ass. I said the turkey out the stuffing's ass. <laughs> 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 All right, everybody. Hey, don't forget to visit us on Instagram. We are at Fear the Talking Queers, where you can message us, talk to us comment like our posts um and just generally give your feedback with whether you love us or don't let us know we want to know all right well it was a pleasure talking to you about this i know that this is a, a episode that we've been wanting to do since we incepted this podcast so yes so it um, finally came season three doing it big <laughs> it came and went <laughs> all right bye everybody sweet screams bitch bye